After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop, and they put it into his mouth. So when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. God grant to us this morning that we would have ears to hear and a heart of understanding. Or better yet, God, create in us a desire to want to listen. You said, he who has an ear, let him hear. Father, give us clarity this morning. Allow us to become less so that your word would become greater. That your word would become a wonderful fertilizer for the ground of our hearts and for the harvest of our souls, God. It is our desire to draw closer to you in knowledge and in relationship. For your glory, God, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. I think the majority of people in here at one time or another knows the experience of paying off a car note or a car mortgage. Yeah, a lot, right? And man, how wonderful the feeling to give the last payment on a car, especially to give the last payment on a mortgage because it's just so much greater of a debt. Because that's exactly what it is. When we sign the dotted line for that new car or that new home, we have now just inherited a debt. And so when we pay it off, regardless of the time frame that it is, there's, a, there's an excitement, there's a pleasure within, there's a joy just knowing I'm not going to have to you know, work with the intention of paying this home. Now my intention is different, but there's just a rest at ease now. I know it. A lot of you know it, but it's a wonderful feeling. Well, hopefully we can use that and apply it to what we're reading today. And now it's going to be small in comparison, but it can give you just a general understanding of where we're going. Jesus is hanging on the cross, in pain and in agony. And he understands one thing, that all things have already been completed. The mission that he came forth and set out to do, it was done. He understood it, he saw it, he, he realized it. And as he's hanging there in this misery, it's like he seems to find the strength that he needs to finish completely what he was set forth to do. Because remember, a while back he was praying in the garden and he said, my soul is weary. I'm troubled so much so even to the point of death. It's like he even asked the Father, if this cup could pass away from me, let it pass, Lord. But nevertheless, your will. So he was feeling this, this heaviness, but now he's at a point where he is receiving this strength. And I believe this strength is coming because of his obedience. He set forth to do it. Now I'm going to obey regardless of what it feels like. But he's there hanging. He sees everything now again. It's brought close to an end. It's here. It's fulfilled. Everything that they talked about in the Old Testament thousands of years before. We're here. It's showtime. And it says three times this word for completeness, for perfection, for the end. He saw that it was accomplished and that the scripture might be fulfilled. And then he spoke and said, it is finished. To be fulfilled means to add what is desired in order to cause it to be full. That's fulfilled. 
There's something missing, and now you're going to add and bring it to a completeness. That's the scripture. As a matter of fact, a few scriptures down, it's going to say that the scripture would be fulfilled. It's happened before. It says that the scripture might be fulfilled, whether it was through something that someone was experiencing, the scriptures were being fulfilled. I would say that when scripture is fulfilled, God is definitely glorified. When scripture is fulfilled, and this is the ultimate example here, scripture being fulfilled by Christ, laid out on the cross, giving his life, God is glorified. But through that glorification, there's not always going to be pleasure. Sometimes there's going to be pain. Sometimes there's going to be discomfort. But this all comes through a willful obedience to do the will of the Father. So from the very beginning of Genesis, the people of God know this is coming. We read it now. We study and we see, yeah, I see it clearly. This is, this is something that's going to come to pass. Now for us, it already came to pass, but we see the thumbprints in the pictures. Ever since it was Adam and Eve in the garden, a man willfully disobeyed, they fell. And what did, what did uh, God do? He clothed them with tunics. Oh yeah, he disfellowshipped them and threw them out of the garden, but he clothed them with tunics, and that was the picture that you're going to be further clothed, clothed by the second Adam. And this is all going to be by faith. Then you go to Noah, and God looked down at the earth, and he saw that the heart and the intent of men, uh, their thoughts were evil continually. They were wicked, not just once in a while. Not just when they were having a good time in the nightlife, but continually the thoughts and the intents were wicked. And so he told, he told Noah, build an ark. And when you build an ark, he gave them the construction. And he said, when you're finished, cover it with, um, with a, a pitch, which is like a tar substance, which is almost like asphalt. But if you look in the Hebrew content, it also means atonement. So you see the picture of this atonement covering this ark and you see the picture of Christ. And if you're inside of this, when I destroy the world, you're going to be safe. And that's exactly what happened. And you see the picture there again of what was going to come. And you go to Abraham, you go fast forward some time and you go to Abraham and you see him climbing a mountain with his son, his only begotten son. And he was willingly going to sacrifice him. And as he went forward in faith, the Lord said, don't lay a hand on him for the Lord's going to provide himself a sacrifice. And you're seeing the fingerprints of what was to come thousands of years later. Now you have to see it by faith. They had to see it by faith. Many of them saw it by faith. Abraham was one of them. He saw it by faith. He believed God by faith. And the Bible says that it was accounted to him as righteousness. And you go all the way to the man Joseph who was treated spitefully by his brothers. They, they didn't like him. They hated him in a sense. They made less of him. And what did they do? They ganged up on him. They threw him in a pit. They considered him as dead. And he was sold into slavery. Somebody might say, well, what kind of a God is that? being sold into slavery, and he goes to Egypt, but he works his way up after being in prison to being the right-hand man of Pharaoh. And he got this status, and with this status, he was able to bring his people in to help them because there was a famine in the land. And all this time, Joseph never complained, never. He, probably the only one in Scripture that you read of. And there was no complaints. He persevered, even in prison. He didn't say, why are you putting me in jail wrongfully? But he continued. Then you go to the man Moses, that finally, at the end of what Joseph started, Moses came. And Moses came, uh, and he was a foreshadowing of a Redeemer. By way of the law, because Moses is a representation of the law. And of course, all the way to this time where we're reading Christ, the promised Savior once and for all, but He came not by way of the law, but by way of grace. And we'll come back to Moses here in a little bit. 
Verse 29, we read that it says, A vessel of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled the sponge with sour wine. They put it on hyssop, and they put it to his mouth. These are the things in Scripture that when you read it and you don't maybe have a general understanding of the Jewishness of Jesus and, and, or even just the Old Testament, you can read it and just go by it. Hyssop, okay, they grabbed it and they put it to his mouth. But to the Jew, this would be very familiar and very reminding to them. Something's real strange about this picture that we're seeing here of what's going on. Especially to these people of God because they were in bondage for 400 years. This was through Moses. 400 years. That's a long time. That's many times more than our lifetime. So it's like our fathers, us, our children, and our children's children continuing to be in bondage and it was getting worse because Pharaoh now made their workload heavier so now Moses comes by way of redeemer and the reason I stopped at Moses is because through what we're seeing today in verse 29 we can go back to what God ordained with Moses and we can see a clearer picture that they didn't see but we should so God moves by way of Moses and he tells him, go speak to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And he goes to Pharaoh. Pharaoh says, no, nah, I don't think so. I'm not going to let him go. And so, you know, the story, they continue back and forth and the miracles and the uh, counter uh, seemingly miracles, the deception that the magicians did. Then finally, God said, OK, I'm going to strike the firstborn. And I'm going to definitely show them that I'm God. And this is the way that you are going to be able to exit this bondage that you are in. And so in Exodus chapter 12, he gives them the ordinance of what we call the Passover. Now keep in mind, keep in mind that in John 19, where we're at right now, they are about to celebrate the Passover. That's why there's many Jews and from many nations that are looking and they can see that uh, they have to hurry. This has to be done, right? They have to get them uh, off the cross before, the, uh, before it's dark. Why? Because the Sabbath is coming and it's illegal to have it before the Passover. And so there's going to be some similarities here. But he issues this ordinance of the Passover. And in this Passover, he tells Moses, tell the people of Israel to get a lamb. And when they get this lamb, tell them to sacrifice the lamb. And when they have the blood, right, they're going to get the blood. They're going to dip it in the basin, put it on the door, uh, on the lintel, the doorposts. And when the angel of death passes by, what happens to those individuals? They're going to be safe. But anybody else, the firstborn is going to die. And that's exactly what happened, and that is what they did in verse 12, verse 21. It says that Moses called for all the elders of Israel and said to them, Pick out and take lambs for yourselves according to your families and kill the Passover lamb. Now we look to John 19 and know that John the Baptist said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This is the lamb. Verse 22, And you shall take a bunch of hyssop, dip it in the blood that is in the basin, and strike the lintel and the two doorposts with the blood that is in the basin, and none of you shall go out of the door of his house until the morning. Hyssop. Same thing that they're doing in John 19. And so the Jews should see, man, something's real familiar. What's going on here? But yet they're, no, we're not going to believe that he's God. We're not going to believe that he was sent by God. They continue in their hardness. Well, hyssop, they use hyssop to transfer this. Hyssop is, was, you see it in scripture, that it was used to transfer the blood from the sacrifice to a sinner. Hyssop. 
Hyssop was a plant that comes from the, the mint family of plants. But hyssop had a little more bitter taste to it. And they used this uh, bitter plant to transfer the blood to the, the sinner from the sacrifice. You see in Levitic, Leviticus chapter 14, hyssop and the blood are used in the ceremonial cleansing of lepers. In Numbers chapter 19, hyssop is used for cleansing somebody who has touched a dead body. So this hyssop process is used to purify somebody, to cleanse them. And this is exactly what happens when the blood of Jesus is placed upon us. It cleanses us and it purifies us. It makes us clean. It makes us worthy. Because in Leviticus and Numbers, if they did this, they were now considered unclean. If you touch someone else, now they're unclean, and it would just continue and continue. Now, if it cleanses a leper, what does leper stand for symbolically in the Bible? It stands for sin. So it cleanses the sin of, of man. Psalm chapter 51, verse 7. You remember the man after God's own heart who, man, he, he got into deep waters. Because he slept with a woman, then he didn't know how to cover it up, so then he had her husband murdered, and he just continued to get deeper and deeper into water, and he held this inside for about a year, and then finally it was too much. Actually, it wasn't too much. It took Nathan the prophet to come and convict him. And so when he repented, you go to Psalm 51, and this was his prayer of repentance. And he recognizes one thing. Yes, he did wrong, but he said, God, to you and you alone have I sinned. It's like, well, what about Bathsheba? And what about her husband? I mean, you, they, they were done wrong, of course. But the greater one that was done wrong to was God himself. And David recognized this. And he says in Psalm 51, verse 7, purge me with what? Hyssop. Not with sweet mint. Not with yerba buena. He says, purge me with hyssop. And I shall be what? Clean. Wash me. And I shall be what? Whiter than snow. Because that cleansing process takes away our sins. It takes away our unrighteousness. It takes away our guilt. And now we are whiter than snow with the righteousness of Christ Jesus. David knew this. The man after God's own heart. Yeah, he made a big mess. But he went to God who cleans up those big messes. When you come with a true and a pure heart. This was his prayer after all of his folly. Now I'm sure he didn't intentionally set out to do all of this. But because he strayed from, from this fellowship and relation with God, it became easier and easier. But he understood the meaning of hyssop. And his need for being cleansed and purified. He understood that. It's the same thing that Noah did. And, and, and Abraham and Joseph. They all understood this. So Exodus chapter 12 again. The Passover. This is the first mention you see of it. God ordains it. It says, dip the hyssop in the blood and reach to apply it on the lintel of the door. Do this and you're going to be safe. And stay in your home until the morning. Don't come out. A lintel is the upper support of a door. The top of the doorway. Now, I'm not much on construction. But from what I've read, it supports the majority of the door. It's what holds it in place. A lot of doors, if it's not a load-bearing wall, it's not going to have a beam over it. But if it's a, a strong wall, then it's going to have a beam over it. So that it will support it to keep it from caving in. Well, in John chapter 10, verse 7, if you remember us being back there. Jesus turned and said to them, he said, Most assuredly I say to you that I am the door of the sheep. He is this door. He's the only one who can support the load of the wrath of God so that we may live. So you see on the cross is this door. And they stretch out to 
dip this, this sour wine and the word to strike the lintel of the door can also mean to reach out. And that's what they're doing. And so they don't see what's happening here. Of course, God is ordaining this. God's fulfilling it. They don't see it. They, they don't understand it. But he's the only one who can support the load of the wrath of God so that we may live, right? Can, can we handle, can a doorway handle the, the, the wrath of God? No, can we? No, absolutely not. We'll be crushed to pieces. As a matter of fact, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God, was being crushed in the Garden of Gethsemane. But he obtained the power from God to continue. So we know that it's, it's not with the blood of bulls and goats. It's not this first Passover, but it was a picture to this lamb, this Passover lamb on this Passover day that was going to shed his blood. And by that blood, there was going to be a redemption. Now, after this application of blood, it says that they are to eat the Passover. The remaining part of it, right? They cook it and they eat it. He says, now after that, you be ready. You have your sandals on, gird your loins, eat it with haste. You be prepared. John chapter 6. John chapter 6, verse 50. Where they're arguing with the Pharisees, or the Pharisees are arguing with Jesus, and they said, Our fathers ate manna in the wilderness. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. I am that manna who used to come down. Your fathers ate that manna and they're dead. In verse 50, he said, This is the bread which comes down from heaven, that one may what? Eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat of this flesh, of the Son of Man, and drink His blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me. Okay, He who eats and he who drinks, they abide in me, and I in him. As the, as the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate manna and are dead. He who eats this bread will live forever. They got freaked out. And many of them turned away. Many of the disciples turned away. And they followed him, says, no longer. This was a hard thing. This was considered one of the hard sayings of Christ. But again, by the Spirit of God, you have to see the intended meaning. Of course, Christ didn't mean eat my literal flesh, drink my literal blood. He has a, he has a law that says, don't mess with blood because there's life in the blood. And so you start to see, though, but he's talking about this eating, the same eating that they were partaking of, of this sacrifice, and they were eating of it. And Christ is saying, you have to eat of my flesh. Many of them turned away because they didn't like what was being said, but many of them stayed. But just like the Jews eating the Passover, our eating is the doing of the will of the Father. That's our meat, His will. His word. He is the word. Scripture is going to be fulfilled when we by faith have this blood applied to the lentils of our souls. And then we consume or eat of the wholeness of Christ through continual abiding in him. Now might I say with this lentil 
that supports the door. Now, if we look and see Christ as the door, the lintel, but it wasn't the cross that acted as a lintel to support Jesus on the cross. It wasn't the cross that was supporting Jesus up there, but it was Jesus that supported the cross itself. He made this choice. It's Jesus that makes the cross to stand and be effective and to be what it is supposed to be in the life of a believer. Again, this should have been so familiar to him. Some of us see it by faith and we get excited. Sometimes you may go home and you may see it this evening and say, oh, I see and get extremely excited. Then they fill the sponge with sour wine. It says vinegar and some wine. Pretty nasty if you ask me. Vinegars, I haven't drank it, but I smelt it and it's pretty bitter just by smelling it. <laughs> Pucker your face up. And, but they put it on hyssop and they put it in his mouth to drink. They put it on a sponge and they reached and gave it to him. Now to the, to the Romans, uh, this was an unfamiliar but it was due to no affiliation. They weren't affiliated to the religion of the Jews or anything like that. So they were unfamiliar. Maybe they saw it or knew about it, but it was unfamiliar. To the Jews, it was unfamiliar. Why? Because of a hardness of heart. They couldn't see it. They were blinded. And when Jesus received this wine, he drank of it and said, it is finished. To Tetelestai, the Greek word. A lot of you have heard this word, right? It is done. It's complete once and for all, forever, for eternity. It is finished. There's nothing else that has to be done. Everything is completed. Everything that was talked about, it is done. It's important because when we come to Christ, we have to realize we have to realize that He has done everything. There's nothing that you and I can do to obtain this. We can't be good enough. We can't be nice enough. We can't give enough money. We can't serve enough. We can do none of those things to earn salvation in Christ. It's everything that He did. And what we do is we trust and believe in that, the same way that with this Passover lamb, they did it. They reached out. They applied the blood. We, by faith, we reached to Christ to have that blood applied to our lives, God. I'm, I, yeah, I'm a miserable wretch, God, but I'm trusting in your work, Father. But in the meantime, purge me and purify me with your hyssop. Cleanse me from any unrighteousness, Lord. Make me pure for your glory and for your kingdom. Now, before this, he said, I thirst. Now, yes, we see clearly the humanity of Jesus when he said, I thirst. I'm sure, very sure, more than convinced that he was very thirsty by this point. We see him, right, because we talked that he was fully man and fully God. So John's demonstrating he is man. This is the man part of Christ, of this lamb, being up there. He said, I thirst. You have to insert your experience in life when you're in Scripture. And if you have ever had a loved one in hospice, you'll clearly see this picture because as the days are getting far and few, they get to a point where they begin to get thirsty, but they don't have the strength to drink. And many times the doctors will give them little ice chips or they'll even give the family, a small little stick with a sponge on it, and they dip it, and they'll just wet their lips with it. And this is to quench the thirst that's within, and, and they may not even be able to speak and say, I'm thirsty, but there's a thirst there. Because at the end of life, there, you, you see this always. There's a thirst that starts to come, uh, but inside something else is probably happening. It's a thirst for something deeper, but it's manifesting in a physical thirst. Whether it's the believer or the unbeliever, the believer says, I'm thirsty for more. I, I want to see God now. I'm ready. I desire this for the unbeliever uh, prayerfully. And hopefully it's, I want to come to Christ. I'm done. I, I'm realizing now. And it's the hope that they would come to Christ by this point. 
But I would say that there's a little bit deeper fulfillment of Scripture, even in him saying that I thirst. He was thirsty, but he was thirsty with a desire, and it wasn't simply for water. But I believe that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world was thirsting for the salvation of the souls of men. He was thirsting that his work would be fulfilled and he was desirous and I'm ready for it to happen now. Give me a drink. Now he knew exactly what he was going to drink of and it wasn't that sour wine. That sour wine was nothing compared to what he was going to drink of. The sour wine probably tasted pleasurable compared to the drink that he was going to drink of. In Matthew 20, verse 22, there was an argument about these two fellows. And mom was saying, hey, Lord, give my sons to sit next to you, one on your right hand and one on your left. He says, woman, you don't know what you're asking. He says, are you able to drink the cup that I'm about to drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? Literally did not realize what she was asking. And the Lord said, they can't even, just thinking about it will probably cause them to faint. This cup, this wrath, this baptism, he's going to be immersed in the wrath of God. And in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, he's praying in the garden. He went a little bit further away from the disciples. He fell on his face and he prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. This cup, he was going to drink of this cup, not of the sponge that they gave. But if you even read more intentionally, it says that this vessel was there, but it was appointed. It didn't just happen to be there. The Lord appointed this vessel to be there, and, and it was just showing them what, what it was. But this wasn't the cup that Jesus was thirsty for. He was thirsty at this point to, let me just drink from the wrath of God. I'm, I have to drink from it anyways. Let's go ahead and just drink from it. Let's go ahead and do it. And so by saying that he thirsted, he was desiring through his own will. To drink the cup of wrath so that the thirst of those who believe upon him will be quenched. Because that's what it allowed us now. We no longer thirst. Why? When we believe upon him, he told the woman at the will, he who drinks of the water, water that I have to give, they will no longer thirst again. But because he drank, our thirst is quenched now. Those who believe upon him. The thirst, again, it speaks of this longing. Have you ever been thirsty? That's probably a foolish question. I know you have. Some of us more than others, though. It, it, your mouth is dry and there's a longing and a desire. I just I, I want a drink. Forget everything else. I want a drink. This is what Jesus was longing for. The drink of the cup of wrath, why? So that people can come now. So that people, so that it can be finished and people can see by faith. So that it can be finished and I can go preach cap, uh, to the captive uh, captivity. And I can take them now to be in my everlasting presence. So that everything can begin in the finishing process. So he drank. And he said, to Telestai, it's done. Then it says that he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. Willfully, he gave it up. And I would say that thirst is only going to come through a deep desire and that desire then causes you to drink. Because nobody's going to drink if they're not thirsty. Correct? I'm not very good at drinking water. I get in trouble by... My significant other all the time, you're not drinking enough water, but why? I don't thirst for water. If people don't thirst for the word of God, they're never going to drink from it. If people don't thirst for fellowship with God, they're never going to drink for it. 
And that's why God allows individuals to become desolate, to go into a dry land, into a parched land. That way, maybe you'll begin to thirst and you'll remember to come to the well of living waters. He does it for the good of, of the end result of everyone. Now, Exodus chapter 12, after he does all of this, he reminds them and he says, you do this for the rest of your generations every year. That's why they're celebrating here in John 19, because it was appointed every year you do this. And he said, this is going to be a reminder for you and all the generations who come after you, your sons and your sons' sons. Why? So that they can remember, never forget what the Lord their God has done for them. And in Exodus chapter 12, verse 27, they ask by, they're asked by the sons, you know, what, what is this about? And they explain it. It's the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt. Let, let me read Exodus 12, 27. I'm sorry. Exodus 12, 27. They've asked, okay, what, what's all this about? The children are asking. It says, it is the Passover sacrifice of the Lord who passed over the houses of the children of Israel in Egypt when he struck the Egyptians and delivered our households. So the people bowed their heads and they worshipped. Now we look back at John, verse 30, and we see that Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. So because Jesus bowed his head and he gave up his spirit, for that reason we can bow our heads and we can worship. Because that's exactly what it caused them. They remembered, they saw it again by faith. Wow, because he did all of that for us and, and he brought us out of bondage, causes us to bow our heads and worship. It's the cause and effect. All of this was through what? Scripture fulfilled. And though it's finished, it's our calling and should be our desire that Scripture would be fulfilled in our lives. That's very important. The rest is not going to matter if we don't seek to have Scripture fulfilled in our lives. The part of Scripture that says that God is living and active. The part of Scripture that says that now we have been made peculiar people. We're different. The part of Scripture that tells us to come out from among them and to be separate. The part of Scripture that tells us to set our minds up on things above where Christ is at, seated at the right hand of God. To not, to not meditate on earthly things, but to put them on heavenly things. Why? Because we have died and our life is what? It's hid with Christ in God. But that scripture has to be fulfilled in our life. And there's so much. That's why Jesus commanded them to make, not converts, but disciples, teach them. Because if they know, then they put it into its application and Scripture is going to be fulfilled. Because just because Jesus fulfilled it on the cross doesn't mean that we don't have a calling to cause Scripture to be fulfilled in our lives. That the Christians are going to be known. Why? Because of their love. That the Christians are going to be known. Why? Because their heart's been transformed. They're compassionate. Yes, they're graceful and merciful, but they also live a life of holiness. They also hunger and thirst for righteousness. What is right in this world? That's what we hunger for. And that's what they're going to be known for. But Scripture has to be fulfilled in our lives. But it's not going to be fulfilled in any believer if they're not willing, if they're not obedient, if they don't thirst for that. Because that's what Christ said. If anyone thirsts for, uh, or, or, or is hungry, they shall be filled. When they're thirst for righteousness sake. God was glorified in the fulfilling of Scripture in the life of Christ. God is also glorified 
when Scripture is fulfilled in our lives. God is pleased. God is moved. And I would go as far as saying, that is my son or that is my daughter in whom I am well pleased because they're representing me well. They are doing right. That's how people are going to come to Christ and say, yes, he is a real God who transforms heart. Not, he's not a God who causes stillborn children. They say, yeah, I'm born, but I don't speak, I don't talk, I don't breathe, I'm not active, I don't do anything. I just, I'm just there, dead. That's the individual before Christ, dead. If you've tasted of it, you know that, right? It's, it's dead. Yeah, oh, yeah, I'm having fun right now. We're dancing, and, and, I, and I, I have a adult beverage in my hand, and, and I have this, but inside I'm really dead. I'm really dead. There's no happiness inside of me. I might be at the restaurant with, with, uh, with a fling on the side and everything seems to be going good and I know that later it's going to get better, but inside uh, it's, it, it's still empty, it's still vanity, it's still foolishness, there's no joy inside. But we, we, we want Scripture to be fulfilled in our lives. And as a matter of fact, Scripture is still going to be completed until the day that we take our last breath. The proof of a, of a God that is living and active is His ability to transform desperate and dark hearts. Desperate and dark hearts. Some people that come to Christ may not be at a point of desperation in their life. But after they come to Christ, they'll realize, man, I was really bad. I didn't realize how bad I was. But some people are plucked out of darkness. And that's where the joy comes from. He's able to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. All we do is call out and say, God, God, God. That's all you have to say sometimes is God, but your heart has to be meaning and crying and say, Lord, uh, transform me and change me. I, I don't know how, but God, you can uh, hear my Lord. Do whatever you have to do. But can you pray that? Because asking God to do whatever he has to do, that's a very dangerous prayer to the carnal side of an individual. To the spiritual, it is wonderful. When Scripture is fulfilled in our life, peace is prevailing and despair becomes hope within, not just for us, but for others. Just like Jesus, it does not mean it's always going to be the upper hand at the moment. We're not always going to receive the upper hand. But through this sacrificial love, the benefit of others is that they may taste and see what that the Lord is good. They see this. They're touched by the hand of God that's moved through us. Just like with Moses. The people were touched through Moses. Moses was not God. Moses was just like us, but God moved through him. He desires to do that through all of his believers, that people would know, surely this God is real. Now this and this alone is why we desire to bow our heads and worship. John chapter 5 Verse 24, Jesus said, Most assuredly, I say to you, he who hears my words and believes in him who sent me has everlasting life and shall not come into judgment, but is passed from death into life. Believing upon him, that belief process and trusting him is the same as grabbing that blood with hyssop and placing it on the lintel. Except this blood is by faith. It was the hyssop and his blood and we reach for the lintel, the door that is on the cross, who's Jesus Christ, to receive this application. And it says, he who does that, who believes it, has everlasting life. I'm not sure if a lot of you believe that because the amens weren't roaring. Because when you believe that, it brings an excitement into your soul. An excitement that everlasting life, I have that, that's mine. And it should bring an excitement. Sometimes it's going to come with tears. Sometimes it's going to come with, with joy. Sometimes, it, But it's going to come with something. Because God did something. You realize I'm not the individual who I used to be. 
This is only going to come through thirst because hearing those words, he who believes in me will have everlasting life. It's like the thirsty person who's drinking a nice cold glass of water. And it stands true for every believer. Now, one more thing before I'm finished. They did this whole Passover thing. And he said, when you do this, stay in your house. Don't come out until the morning. Right? If you come, if you come out before that, then the, the wrath is going to come upon you too. Stay in your house until the morning. And I would say that that is our calling when Jesus said that we must abide in him. Apart from him, we can do nothing. Outside from him, we're as good as lost. We have to abide in him. Think of that horn of salvation. When you grab it, you can't touch me. That is your refuge. That is your strength. Okay, you have to think about this because just because we say uh, we're saved or may have prayed that prayer or what have you, remember, there's still the third tense of salvation that has to come and that is the glorification process. We can't just stop running and, and not run the race any longer. Jesus said those who endure until the very end will be saved. Think of Noah and the ark. Oh yeah, the waters receded. He came out of the ark. The ark that he said, stay in there or, or um, the waters will overtake you. But what happened to Noah when he came out of that ark? It was just a matter of time before he was found in his drunken state and his sons were doing perverse things because they departed from that ark. And when we're outside of Christ, it's only a matter of time before we're also doing foolish things the same way that David did it. David departed from Christ. He was doing foolish things. Now, I'm not saying there's no more hope from that, but we have to continue until we take our last breath. That's why David cried out and said, Purge me with your hyssop, God. And so that we know that this is true, Revelation chapter 21 We'll be visiting this soon enough. Revelation verse, chapter 21, verse 6. He said to me, what? It is done. Isn't that what he just said in John 19? To tell us die, it is finished. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. And what's he going to do? He said, I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. This is the day that we receive our reward. But guess what? If we're not in Christ, if we don't continue to abide in Christ, we're not going to make it to this. We have to overcome to this. This is, the this is what they would call the consummation. It's done. Yes, he said it's done. His work is done. But we have to continue to be in that ark. Because guess what? This Revelation 21, like he said, don't come out of your house until the morning. We have to stay in the home of Christ until this first brand new morning. Because this is when everything is new. This is the morning that we speak of because there's no longer going to be a sun. There's no longer going to be darkness, but Jesus Christ himself will illuminate. This is the morning. This is where we freely come out. This is where now we're safe forever and ever. Amen, right? I hope that you see it because I see it. The point is, Scripture must be fulfilled in our lives. It must be fulfilled, and it must be fulfilled through our abiding. That's the only way that it's going to be fulfilled, is abiding. And the same way that it was fulfilled in the life of Christ, He desires that it would be fulfilled in our lives. Every single place that we go, not preaching, at work, at home, everywhere that we go, that testimony for the Lord. So the question for us to ask throughout the remainder of this week to ourselves is, Am I thirsty? Am I thirsty? Do I desire for more? Yeah, it's finished. But I desire for more of God. Amen. And that's a thirst that He continues to give to us. Because every time we thirst, He gives us that drink. 
And it's a continual process until the day that we stand and he says again, it is done. I'm going to give you to drink freely from this fountain of life. Let's pray. Father, we see the humanity that was demonstrated on the cross. God, I only hope and pray that we see the deeper meaning that is there. God, you thirsted. Yes, your, your carnal nature was thirsty for water. Instead, they gave you something sour and bitter. But we know, God, that that was demonstrating the bitterness of the wrath of God that you were going to indulge upon. You were going to be baptized with it, totally immersed, Father. God, I pray that you would help us to understand the fullness and the depth of that alone right there, Father. Because if we can understand that, God, if we can see it, and I believe it would cause us to draw closer to you with a heart of gratitude. It would cause us to become thirsty. It would cause us to desire that Scripture would be fulfilled in our lives so that you would be glorified. That's our calling, God. We're called to a ministry of reconciliation. To call people back to you. Come back to God. Because, Lord, the truth is, is that you are so beautiful and wonderful. You're so full of mercy that we don't have to. Uh, there is, there's hope. As long as we're breathing, God, there is hope. It doesn't matter how bad we have allowed our lives to become. It doesn't matter everything that we've gotten in, Lord. But we just have to realize the beauty of the one who hung on that cross. The lintel, the one who supported the cross, arms wide open, willingly, full of obedience. For the joy that was set before him. God, that we could also, Lord, hide in you, Lord, in that cross. That we would not come out from there, but abide until this brand new morning that spoke about in, Re in Revelation chapter 21. But as we conduct our lives, that they would also picture and demonstrate the beauty of your cross, God. Oh yeah, we drink of bitter things in life also. But God, that we may know that if you were able to withstand, we can withstand as well. Your promises are yes and amen, God. Help us to believe it. Help our unbelief, God. That it would cause us to more swiftly run our race for you. To not grow weary, to not become tired, and to not faint when all these things come at us. Father, we thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Thank you for your beauty. And because of that, God, we shout from our hearts that we love you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.